Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. See, I don't care what their schemes are. I don't care what their plans are. If it doesn't align with what God has already said, it's not going to happen. Even in our best efforts and our best planning and not scheming, but even just best planning, if it's not in line with what he has already predetermined, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. He's in control. This is a big Christian word we use, sovereign, meaning he is in control over all these things. God is in control. That might feel both comforting and stressful at the same time. It's encouraging to know that God wants the best for you and has a plan for you, but that can also be stressful if you fear what that plan might be. Today, Pastor James confirms that if your plans don't line up with his, then no matter how hard you try, your plans ultimately will fail. Like I said, comforting and stressful. Pastor James offers encouragement with this reminder though, God promises free will and that he has ultimate control. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Mark, chapter 14, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. We need bread for the broken, give some bread to the broken. We need hope for the hopeless, give some hope to the hopeless, hopeless. Bread for the broken, broken. We're going to be in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. Last week, we were talking about Mark chapter 13, and this is the end times teaching that Jesus gave to his followers. And true to form, I skipped some verses. I want to read the ones I skipped, and this helps us out with some context. But Mark 13, if you look at verse 21, we were going through this whole thing, like what the day is going to be like at the end times. This fits with me telling you to read your Bibles too, which apparently I need to apply because I skip verses when I teach. Verse 21, it says, in the end times, this is a good heads up for all of us, but Then if anyone tells you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. The days in which we live today, this this wasn't going to be uncommon for the disciples. Just after Jesus taught this, there were going to be a lot of people showing up saying, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Messiah, you know, follow me, do what I say, and all that good stuff. This still happens to this day for us, but it's going to intensify as the day of his return draws near. So what's kind of cool about this is Jesus is prepping his guys. He's like, look, there's going to be a lot of false messiahs that are going to be showing up. Verse 22, false messiahs and false prophets will rise up, perform signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones or God's elect. Verse 23 was the whole summary of our chapter 13 teaching. Watch out. Pay attention. Be aware. Pay attention to what's going on. When you see these things, he says, I have warned you about this ahead of time, right? And then he goes into what those days will be like. I think I covered those verses, but somebody will let me know eventually. That kind of frames everything out in, and again, just read your Bibles. As the days draw to an end, we believe as a church that there is this thing called a rapture. It's going to happen. I believe, I'm, a, I'm 100% behind this, that it's actually going to precede the tribulation that lasts seven years. But there's a lot of things that are going to be happening leading up to that. And we live in those days. We live in those days. And the world, it's just going to intensify. And people showing up, being providing false hope. I mean, that's the Messiah, right? He's the hope, the rescuer, the deliverer. There's going to be more and more of that stuff. So stay in your Bibles. 
read the word, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, and don't be worried about it. Don't go looking for the Antichrist. That's none of your business. You don't need to worry about that. What are you going to do? You're going to stop him? You can't stop him. You're not going to stop him. That's God's plan. The Antichrist is going to happen. False messiahs, they're going to show up. False prophets, what do we do? We keep our eyes on Jesus. And then really today, because we'll be in Mark chapter 14, we want to be like the lady that is mentioned within this passage. So yes, the end is coming. I sound like I'm one of those guys on New York City. Like I got the sign, like the end is near. It kind of is. It really is if you're paying attention to headlines. But until then, Jesus isn't done with us today. So what do we do in the midst of that? Do we cower in fear? Do we hide out? Um, What do we do? Well, we worship Jesus. That's what we do. How do we worship Jesus? Just like it's described in Mark chapter 14. So let's, let's look at this. Verse one of chapter 14. This is the anointing at Bethany. Probably a familiar story. Verse one, it says, and now two days before Passover... This is towards the end of the week, the Passion Week, before Jesus is, he's really about to be betrayed by Judas, then arrested and go through all these trials that were illegal. This is just days before that event is going to happen. Two days before Passover and the Festival of Unleavened Bread. If you don't know what Passover is, Passover was instituted in the book of Exodus, and that was when the children of Israel were about to be rescued from Egypt, and they had the Passover. The angel would pass over their homes, and if they didn't have the blood on the doorpost, then this angel, their firstborn, would be taken, okay? So they had to sacrifice the lamb, put the blood over the doorpost, and all that good stuff, and he would pass over them. Really? That's, I mean, that's just how it is. He passed over them. That was a celebration, and this is something that they instituted from then on, and they would celebrate this. Now, they would also incorporate the festival of unleavened bread with the Passover, because they happen simultaneously. So as the children of Israel are being rescued or delivered from Egypt, they were instructed, make your bread, but make it without yeast. You don't have time to let things rise, right? So you need to make that bread, have it ready to go without any yeast at all, so that they're just, when it's time to go, it's time to go. That's the festival of unleavened bread. These happen at the same time. And in fact, a lot of rabbis would get upset when people try to separate these two. They're like, no, 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 we celebrate those things together. This is what's happening in this Passion Week when Jesus is just days away from being crucified. It says the leading priests and the teachers of religious law were still looking for an opportunity to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the Passover celebration, they agreed, or the people may riot, okay? So let me explain this. In Mark, he has this literary style of comparison, okay? Chronologically, what we're about to read through has already happened, okay? So if you're reading through this and you're like, well, in Matthew's account, this anointing, if this is the same one, happens before the triumphal entry. And in John's account, it happens before the triumphal entry, and in Luke's account, it happens, so what is, why is this one a few days before the crucifixion? This is his literary style. So there's no contradiction here. If you're reading through it and you're like, oh, then obviously we throw the book away. We throw the book away. Because, well, then you don't understand literature and you don't understand writing styles from different people because they, they will use different techniques. And Mark's with him partnered with Peter because it was two of those guys who got us the gospel of Mark. So it'd be Peter retelling all these firsthand accounts, 
And what they're going to do is they're going to sandwich this beautiful anointing story in between the depravity and wickedness of mankind. So you have the chief religious people, the leaders, the scribes, and all that. They're hunting Jesus. They want to kill him. They've wanted him dead for years now. But this is it. They've had enough. And so this is the week, and they're thinking like, well, let's just let, we'll let Passover, you know, this initial part pass by. And then their plan was to, after the celebration, was to murder Jesus. God had other plans. See, I don't care what their schemes are. I don't care what their plans are. If it doesn't align with what God has already said, it's not going to happen. Even in our best efforts, in our best planning, and not scheming, but even just best planning, if it's not in line with what he has already predetermined, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. He's in control. This is a big Christian word we use, sovereign, meaning he is in control over all these things. Now, there's free will. We have the right to make decisions and choices, and, and it's a beautiful thing that, that God has instituted, because if, if there's no free will, then we're nothing but robots, and there's no relationship between us and God. He's given you the free will to come into this relationship. But you need to know he's in control. And whatever happens, it happens because he allows it to happen. We don't always understand it. We don't always agree with it. But we are not God. He is. And ultimately, we have to just submit to him and say, your will be done. Because even Jesus in the garden said, Father, if there's any other way, nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. That's Jesus, second part of the Trinity. That's God in flesh. So these guys, are, they're scheming, they're planning, and all that good stuff. And then the end of this story, what we're going to see is Judas becomes a part of the equation. So you have the religious leaders at the start of it trying to figure out how to kill Jesus and then Peter, with Mark, is going to insert this beautiful anointing, this contrast of this great act of devotion of what it should be like to follow Jesus, but also the reality of what's happening in the world around them. So it's kind of a cool little literary style there, right? So that's, if you're reading through the Gospels and you come across this and you're like, wait, is this, because there was already an early anointing in the Gospel of Luke, that's a whole different story. Different setting, different people involved. Luke chapter 7, that's a whole different anointing. Another lady anointed Jesus with some costly perfume, okay? Different story. That happened. This is a second anointing. Some people think that there's a third one. I don't believe that. I think that all the other gospel accounts, this is the second one, and this is the one we're talking about this morning. As he's in Bethany, verse 3, meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany, Bethany is a little village, a little town just right outside the walls of Jerusalem where a lot of people would stay during Passover week because Jerusalem itself would be packed out with people. So they would set up camp, so to speak, and they were, they're going to stay in friends' houses there in Bethany. And they have really good friends who live there. And in fact, it's somebody that Jesus had brought back from the dead. His name was Lazarus. Okay, so Lazarus has a place there. Now, this tells us this is going to be the home of Simon the leper. So who's Simon the leper? Is it his house? Because John's gospel tells us it's Lazarus's house. There's a chance Simon the leper could be Lazarus's dad. Okay, very well could be. I can't be dogmatic on that. I can't, meaning I can't say that 
that this is emphatically what it is, nobody knows. Nobody knows. But we know that within that community there at Bethany, there was a guy whose name is Simon, who used to be a leper, formerly a leper, who changed his spots, right? Not leopard, but leper, you get it. They also had spots. It's a bad joke, I get it. I was a youth pastor for a long time. I can make those jokes. The kids love it. No, they don't. (laughs) They thought it was pretty lame too. He got healed miraculously by Jesus. Because you're not going to a leper's house to eat his food if he's still a leper. That's a very contagious disease. He was formerly like that, but then he was made new by Jesus. And as a result of that, he has opened up his house to the one who has saved him. And not just to the one who has saved him, but to the ones who belong to him. This is called hospitality. This is something that definitely needs to be happening within the church community, hospitality, opening up our houses, not just to each other, but to the world around us. You see, as Christians, we do a really good job of sharing the table with other Christians. How many non-believers are you having at your table? You need to open up the seat for a non-believer at your table. We need to do that. Well, no, we're not supposed to have any... It never says you're not supposed to have any relationship with the world. It says don't be like the world. Don't be in partnership, yoked up with the lost. Okay, you're serving two different masters. It never says that you're not supposed to open up your home to somebody who doesn't agree with you theologically or doctrinally. Open up your home, open up your table. I learned that lesson from, actually from Tim, uh, Tim Keller out in New York City. He does really well at this practice. Uh, he's been battling pancreatic cancer, I believe, for the past couple of years. But they're really good about opening up their home to people who are not saved. And they, over the course of 30 years, 30 plus years, they've watched countless people getting saved just because they open up their home to them. And right there at the dinner table, they lead people to the Lord. So here's Simon, the leper, who is more than willing to open up and share his house with Jesus and the disciples. And it just so happens within that same home, you're going to have Mary and Martha and Lazarus. So do they live there? Do they not? You know, honestly, I just don't know. Actually, I don't think it matters all that much, honestly. It's fascinating. But Mark's account of this, he includes Simon the leper, which I think is just beautiful. It's amazing how the Lord can use formerly leprous people to now be a part of his most, I mean, my goodness, one of his most intimate weeks here physically on the planet. This is his last week of living. And he is welcomed into this guy's home. It says, while he was eating, this is, the verse continues on, while he, Jesus, was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard. Spike nard technically is what it is. To call it nard just such a beautiful flower. The word nard is just really weird. Can you not call it something else? This is grown in India. This is a very hard to get plant. Geographically, India is, well, it's closer to them than it is to us. That's for sure. If you know how to read a map, But even for them, this would be very difficult to get a hold of. What this lady had was an alabaster jar, about 12 fluid ounces 
of pure spikenard. And it's worth, what we'll see in the story, it's worth a whole year's salary is what it is. I mean, my goodness, it is a costly perfume. While Jesus is reclining at the table, because they didn't eat how we eat today, right? You, have ta- you probably have chairs at your table, you sit and all that. They would recline at the table. I have been to Israel. I've eaten meals like this before. It is uncomfortable. They, maybe their bodies were just used to it, but that whole reclining thing and your hip starts hurting and you're just like, and I wasn't even like old at that time either. I was just like, oh, this is uncomfortable. Legs are cramping up. That's how they would eat, just reclining. So it makes sense if he's reclining at a table like this and his feet are out, she would come to his feet. Uh, and there's, there's a lot here, though. Number one, when you invite somebody into your house, it was customary to wash their feet, okay? I'm kind of glad we don't do this these days. Um, you come over to my house, I'm not going to wash your feet. You can keep your shoes on, okay? We're not Hawaii. There, it's take your shoes off. My, my house, it's like, well, just go ahead and keep them on. I don't have a bucket, a basin of water there at my front door, but it's just being hospitable. It's just being welcoming. You know, they're, they're cruising around in Jesus sandals and their feet are getting all dirty and everything, and it's just nice to you wash the dirt off of their feet. Whether or not this has happened already, we don't really know. I mean, this probably did happen for these guys, but there's Jesus reclining at the table, and she comes up to him, and she's going to break that alabaster jar, which in and of itself is pretty valuable, okay? Alabaster, that, that beautiful uh, marble-type material, it isn't exactly the, you know, the easiest thing to come by way of. Now, you also had to carve it out and all that good stuff. But it says here, while Jesus was eating, a woman came with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made of essence of nard or spike nard. She broke open the jar Meaning, as soon as she broke open that jar, it was irreparable. There's no going back. She broke that open, and she poured the perfume over his head. She anointed his head with this costly, fragrant oil. Or another way to say that is she anointed his head with this offering. Now, let me jump over to, you can, you can turn there actually too. This will give you some good exercise. Uh, look over in John chapter 12, the gospel of John chapter 12, please. I'm assuming you're turning there. I don't hear any pages, but that's okay. Oh, I'm like, no, really, John chapter 12. Like, it's, it's the right spot. I know it is. I'm thinking like, well, did I tell them the wrong chapter? No, it's the right. Look, chapter 12, verse, verse one. Here's some of the controversy. Oh, no. Not a controversy. Six days before the Passover celebration began, this is verse one, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus. Well, whose house is it? I don't know. Does it matter? It's somebody's house, Lazarus. It's Simon the leper's, maybe their father and son. I don't know. It says, the man he raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus's honor. Martha served and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary... Okay, so John, the Gospel of John, lets us know this is who is performing this act, okay? Mary took a 12-ounce jar, this is New Living Translation, uh, it says 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made with the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. John took it to another level. 
I appreciate Mark's gospel account as well. But John, like, John just went to a whole nother level with this thing. Because here's Mary. Martha was probably busy serving because that's what Martha does, right? Martha is always busy serving. And Mary likes to sit at the feet of Jesus. Now she breaks open this thing, this, this vial, this, this little alabaster jar of costly spikenard perfume, and she anoints his head. In the Old Testament, the prophet, the priest, and the kings, those are the guys who would be anointed. Really, I mean, this kind of is anointing Jesus as, well, number one, as like the high priest, uh, for sure, anointing him as the king as well, and as a prophet, for sure. But she breaks this, and it pours it on not just his head, but John lets us know that even his feet, and she takes her hair, this prized possession. For a woman back then, her hair was like everything. And she's going to take her hair and clean Jesus's feet with her hair. Now, I mean, if that doesn't impress us, then we just do not understand what the scriptures are saying. We don't get this scene. This is absolutely an incredible act of devotion. Devotion. Especially when you dig into this alabaster jar, like why did she have this? This would take you all year and all your paychecks to pay for this one little, one little container of perfume. That's the common salary, 300 denarii. So it's accounting, obviously, you're like, well, it's 365 days in a year. But you're counting for days off, holidays, celebrations, festivals, all that Sabbath. You got to account for all that stuff. So a full year's wage, not savings, not savings, wage, earned income. Where, where did Mary get this from? Because even being a, a woman in this culture, I mean, there's no guarantee that even her working a full year that she would make enough to buy that. There's an idea that this is an inheritance, that this was passed down to her. I can agree with that idea. I, there's a better one, though, that I think actually better applies to the story. And I believe it was a dowry for her. Because it would have been around that same amount. And a dowry would be what a father, you know, when he's going to give his daughter over to a man for, her, for them to be wed, the father would give a, a dowry. I think, and a lot of other guys would agree with this, not saying we're right, but it seems like this would be something that would be able to secure for her a future wedding. A future wedding. Now Mary sees big picture. She knows there's a future wedding coming. Jesus is the bridegroom. She's part of the bride of Christ. And she decides, we don't know much about, I mean, I don't know much about Mary, I should say that. You may know more about her than I do. I don't know if she went on to be married. I don't know. I don't know what happened to Mary beyond all this stuff. I know she was still part of the church and all that good stuff. There's a lot of church history concerning that. But I do know this. There's a marriage supper of the Lamb that's going to be happening, and she's going to be there. And she invested in that back then. She's like, this is Jesus. This is the Messiah. This is Yeshua. He's the groom. I got this, this thing that represents, well, in that culture, everything for me as a woman. And I'm going to give up my all to Jesus. 
We're so glad that you joined us for a look at the Gospel of Mark here on Bread for the Broken. Pastor James will continue to take you verse by verse through this New Testament book about Jesus. There's so much to learn. We pray that you've heard something today that's drawn you deeper into your relationship with the Lord. Do you have questions about what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus? Well, we would love to hear from you and talk more. So go to breadforthebroken.com and click on contact to leave a message for us. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. Or if you're in the Galveston area, we would love to get to know you in person too. Join us on Sundays or Thursdays as we study God's Word together at Calvary Galveston. You'll find service times, more information, and directions at our website. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. We're so grateful for our listening audience. And if this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you consider teaming up with us in a financial way? A lot is done to get these teachings out on the radio. And we're so grateful for those who feel led by God to contribute in that way. Simply go to the About tab on our website and you'll find the Donate link. We'd also like to ask you to be praying for us and for your fellow listeners. We can all use God's guidance and continued grace as we navigate this world with Him. Thanks for praying. If you missed any part of today's teaching, you can also find it on our website, breadforthebroken.com. Thanks again for tuning in today to Bread for the Broken.